Welcome to the Renewable Energy Hour. I'm Doug Livingston. Uh, but this is a show about technology, alternating with point-and-click radio on Wednesday evenings at 7, and that's another technology show. I jokingly refer to this as KZYX's Geek Hour. Um, normally, I have a co-host with me. I'm not sure what's happened to Chris Love. Uh, he's not answering his phone, so I am solo this evening. So I'm hoping I can rely on some listeners to help me out as we get on in the show. Um, actually, some of the things I was planning on starting with uh, can happen without Chris. I hope he's okay, not in an accident or something. I hope he's just busy and had a critical job that he had to finish and was forgetting about the show or something simple along those lines. Anyhow, um, what I was going to start the show off with was uh, sort of a summary of the last year or so of shows. We've had a fairly consistent theme going on, um, talking about how to expand renewables on the grid. Because uh, we're seeing uh, symptoms of one of the significant limits to renewables, and that's that you can't turn them on and off. Well, you can turn them off, but you can't always turn them on when you need them. Um, the solar panels are only putting out when the sun is shining. Um, the, the wind turbines are only putting out when the wind is blowing. And uh, at least in California, we're seeing sort of a... A limit to how much solar we can put in with uh, unsubsidized or unforced um, financial consequences for for how much solar we can put in. We're starting to bump up against a limit in California, where originally solar was highly sought after since California was having its hardest time meeting its demand during the peak demand time. And the peak demand time was, and still is, contrary to the way people talk about it now, um, typically two or three in the afternoon on a summer weekday, on a sunny summer weekday, uh, when it's hot. Um, that's when our peak demand occurs. And we sort of have a, you know, peak curve, although not as bad on cooler days, uh, that sort of matches that. Um, but of course, that's the same time that solar is maxing out its production too, or, or at least is very high. And we put in so much solar that we've essentially shaved off that peak supply problem that happens on those summer sunny afternoons. Um, and it's no longer nearly as hard of a stress for the utility to meet demand on those days. Um, and certainly on days that are less hot and are sunny, which are three quarters of the year here in California. Um, and even on the coast in the fog, you guys are putting out quite a bit and you don't realize it. You think you can't do solar in the fog. And actually there are places on the coast that outproduce Sacramento for solar output because of a... An uh, interesting uh, confluence of geometry and diffused light, and and what part of the day it comes in. We can talk about that later if somebody wants to prompt that once I open up the phone lines. At any rate, um, the challenge for getting more renewables um, on the grid is some way to take that power that's coming in when it's not needed locally and either storing it somehow or sending it, you know, some long distance to a region that uh, doesn't have the solar output or the wind output at the moment and could use it rather than them firing up their gas-fired power plants or what have you. Right now, we're making up the difference of supply and demand by firing up these quick fire-upable uh, gas turbines mostly, um, to some degree, uh, nuclear can ramp up and ramp down, although it's a little slower than gas turbines to respond. It takes a little longer to ramp up, a little longer to cool down. Also, same idea with coal plants. They take even longer to ramp up and ramp down, although there's some predictability. You can look at the weather and, you know, what day of the week is it and what's the temperature going to be, and they can sort of plan for that. Although we don't have much coal left uh, in in California, uh, it's mostly being done by 
natural gas. There's still one nuclear plant. We do have a fair amount of hydro, and technically that's renewable, but it has its environmental implications too. In fact, we're just in the process of removing a bunch of dams that had hydro on them on the Klamath River for environmental reasons to bring back the fish populations, etc., to restore the health of the river. Um, but hydro is one that can help power in the evening, for example, because that's where uh, some people refer to our peak demand is now happening in the early evening. Uh, no, that's not true. The peak demand's still happening at, you know, two or three in weekday, summer, sunny afternoons. It's just there's plenty of supply available at that time because of all the solar. I would say our greatest supply stress time, rather than our peak demand, is happening in the evening now. Um, actually, it's largely, you know, noon till nine or something like that. Um, and, uh, and Or maybe even two or three till nine. At this point, we've got so much solar in. The issue is that we're starting to back off on putting in solar. For example, I expect that was part of the motivation for the change in the net metering rules for rooftop distributed generation solar, you know, the residential and small business solar that's been such a flurry in the past 20 years. Um, it's hard for them to stomach having to pay 22 cents a kilowatt hour, the retail price for your excess kilowatt hours at one in noon uh, when they've already got plenty of supply and don't really need it, and they're paying retail price for your excess electricity, whereas they're, you know, maybe paying five cents per kilowatt hour to the big uh, commercial photovoltaic field that's that's producing too. And uh, so they're, they're, we're bumping up against... Uh, natural economic limits to how much solar we can put in unless we can figure out a way to balance it out. Some people uh, want to look at storage. Uh, some people want to look at transmission. Some people want to look at increasing consumption in various different ways when there's excess available so that they can reduce their consumption on off-peak ways. Uh, we've had guests on uh, geothermal power, which is uh, something that can be what they call a base load, a when-you-need-it uh, supply. Um, and actually, that guest had an interesting twist on it. He was saying we should put in more solar than we can use during the daytime, uh, get the rates to be really cheap in the daytime, and have people run their heat pumps in reverse and cool down or heat up the uh the earth, geothermal heat pumps, uh, so that you can draw that back, you know, as much as six months later, much more efficiently when you need to heat your house. Um, so if you could cool, if you could warm up, you know, 100 feet down with excess power during the summertime, that would make it much less kilowatt hour intensive in the wintertime when you need to be heating your building uh, with that geo, same geothermal heat pump running the other direction. Uh, we've had a guest on gravity energy storage where some large weight gets lifted with, with excess power during times when the solar is overflowing or the wind is overflowing or both. And then uh, let that slowly fall back down generating power. In the evening. In fact, we've been doing that sort of thing for 50 years or so, um, particularly in association with nuclear power, because nuclear power plants cost about the same amount to run at 80% capacity as they do at 20% capacity. And so one of the strategies with nuclear power plants was to site them near hydroelectric dams. And at nighttime, instead of ramping the nuclear power plant down to 20%, they kept it up at, you know, 60% and ran mega pumps that would pump water from the river back up into the reservoir so that they could then use hydro to shave the peak demand or the demand stress, I might want to call it instead, um, when they're short on power on the grid. Uh, another strategy is massive distribution interconnections so that you could send power, you know, two states away where the wind's not blowing or the sun's not shining. 
when there's an excess in one region. Uh, one of my favorites would be to put in more solar than we need, particularly at large utility-scale solar plants. Uh, and one reason we might be slowing down on that is because they can't guarantee they can leave their plant on all the time. They have to turn their plant off when there's no one to buy the excess, buy the electricity. If there's too much coming onto the grid and there's no way to store it, the utility says, hey, you got to turn off. you got to shut down. Um, and uh, in fact, uh, a fascinating thing I discovered teaching class when I had a number of students who were... Uh, installers and maintenance guys at some of these big utility-scale power plants, um, they showed me some numbers that, that they were throwing away something like a third of their solar production capability because of the limiting capacity and the expense of putting in the transmission line to get it out onto the greater grid from their local plant. And it would behoove them to have that line as fully loaded as possible as soon in the day as possible which was early in the morning and late in the afternoon early evening um they wanted it just as full as in the middle of the day and of course that's not the way solar produces power it's a nice bell curve uh assuming it's a, a fixed mount and so they would just chop off the top of the bell curve to get a nice even distribution throughout the day because the cost of the transmission line was so high. And if that sort of thing is going on, um, where the, the power plant is either shutting down or throwing away power by clipping, which is what those people were doing, um, uh, my favorite solution there was, hey, you should put in you know the equivalent of a gas turbine generator that natural gas is normally used in slightly modified so that it can work off of hydrogen and then use the excess power from the solar plants to locally produce hydrogen that doesn't have to get shipped or piped anywhere because that's problematic with hydrogen and produce a large stockpile of hydrogen on site in these fairly remote locations where these big solar plants are and then during peak demand stress times, when the sun isn't shining, you could use that hydrogen that you produced that would have been wasted solar power otherwise and uh, fire up those quick cycle turbines that can ramp up and ramp down in no time to meet the demand of the grid when the solar's not producing. Anyhow, those are some of the some of the themes and, and issues we've been talking about in the past year with a very variety of number of guests and topics. And since I'm uh, I'm solo without a, a co-host to support me, um, I'm going to open up the phone lines early, and hopefully my listening audience will help me out and and add on to that discussion. Of course, I'm also open to any solar renewable energy related topic. Uh, it doesn't have to be on what I was just talking about, but feel free to call in. I'm in the Philo Studios. You can reach it at 707-895-2448 to join me on the air. And otherwise, I'm going to have to be randomly talking. Oh, we've got phones all ready. They're helping me out by not making me randomly talk. Full lines. That caller dropped. How about this one? Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, I wondered if you had done any calculations on, you know, because of use metering that we have now, on the advisability of potentially facing panels, all of your panels, southwest or west, in order to get into that uh, more preferential rate structure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. it's been a while since I've uh, crunched the numbers to find the sweet spot, but even as much as 10 years ago, the sweet spot was very close to southwest, not due south. Assuming you had full solar exposure, no shading, which would bias this discussion. You know, if you've got, yeah. if you've got a mountain range on your west, you don't want to point west, even if the rates are no, higher. I've than. Got more. Uh, if, if the choice is... You know, summertime, you're going to get whatever, right? Because it's coming straight across the top, maybe a little bit north here. Uh, north in the morning and in the late afternoon. It's it's still south of the east-west line in the middle of the day for a couple hours. 
Oh, okay. And so, but uh, I have a little bit better exposure to the West than I do do South. Yeah, well, it was... Although, you know, with... In that last analysis I did, mind you, it was it was some time ago. It's still no brainer that the, this is still basically true. But I found that you know, looking at a specific rate structure of PG and E's, that facing due west was just as much financial returns as facing due south. Interesting. Um, so the compromise would be Southwest. Southwest was actually slightly sweeter than either of the other two. And the big, you know, eye opener was it didn't really matter that much. Anywhere in that quadrant was quite reasonable. I'll go for straight Southwest then, probably. If you've got full choice, that's a, that's a reasonable call. Um, but uh, awesome. the, the rate structures are a little bit different now. And I should probably, you know, rerun that. that uh, financial simulation again but uh they are stretching the the peak power price to well after the sun goes down which causes a twist on things now um uh, yeah but uh but your peak rates actually now don't typically start until the middle of the afternoon and so yeah, you know south southwest at the minimum i think probably Southwest to west is where your true sweet zone is, and I, if you've got full freedom of choice, uh, those are all better than south. All right. Well, I like the sound of that. Well, thank you very much, sir. Hey, you're welcome. Take care. Good question. 895-2448. If you want to join the conversation or ask a random question, hopefully I've got the answer uh, like I did for that one. I won't have all the answers, but often... Uh, where I don't have the answer, another listener may have the answer and call in and answer in my befuddlement. 895-2448. Um, I'm, I, I, I left off in that whole discussion something that's probably the biggest elephant in the room, and that's chemical energy storage of electricity, i.e. batteries. Uh, and that seems to be all the rage in terms of the media and whatnot. And, uh, <clears throat> that seems like an awfully expensive solution. I think, uh, you know, despite the lower efficiency of uh, cheap electrolysis making hydrogen, it doesn't have to be the high efficiency electrolysis of proton exchange membranes. Um, Cheap electrolysis with some inefficiencies is quite reasonable cost-wise compared to the cost of constantly replacing batteries. Anyhow, we got full lines again. Oh, what's going on on line four? People are not uh, hanging on. Oh, that caller didn't hang on either. Call back, callers. Keep keep hanging on. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, um, I listen to your program uh, every week. Uh, every other week. <laughs> every other week. <laughs> I also listen every every week. I probably listen to it on, on the, the jukebox. Anyway, m my question is, I live in a part of the world where solar is not that big a deal. But my question is... Where, where are you? Do people... I live in Idaho. In Idaho? Uh, and so, not in yeah, Sun so Valley? I, no, no, up in the panhandle. All right. It's often gray. And so I wish you would talk more about uh, wind uh, power, because that's what we could do with up here. Anyway, back to my question. Um, when people are using solar, how are they actually heating their homes during the winter? Um, I can't imagine it would be electric. What, how does, how well, does that, it, it, how does that it, it can be. The, the question is, are you on the grid or are you off the grid? Oh, okay, gotcha. gotcha. Uh, so if you're off, we're on the grid, we're still maybe sucking um, gas from PG&E. Oh, yeah, actually, it's uh, uh, it's the off-grid people who are probably burning wood or burning propane to do their heating in the winter time, uh, because it's really prohibitively expensive to do uh, solar heating f from electricity with batteries. You're just going to wear out your batteries in no time, and that will be absurdly expensive. Whereas people well, well, people on the grid who can produce excess solar during the daytime and during the summer, 
and are in a state where there's annual net metering, which I think is a majority now, although California just left that party. Um, and uh, you can spin a credit forward with all that excess power spinning your meter backwards that it's not unreasonable and not ridiculously expensive to do electrical heating, particularly a high-efficiency heat pump, particularly a ground source heat pump if you're in an extreme climate like northern Idaho. Okay. Um, okay. That's, that's, now, does that's, Idaho, Idaho has net metering? Um, it could have net metering, but it's, as I say, wind power would be much more what my part of Idaho would be uh, um, kind of probably looking well, you, at. You'd be surprised. Uh, a lot of people think that, you know, we see so many more clouds. Um, Seattle sees... 67% as much annual solar energy as San Diego. Well, it's it's not as good as San Diego, but there aren't many places in the world that are as good as San Diego. Yeah, um, but maybe a mix of solar and wind because we always have good wind. Uh -huh. Well, on, on the grid, I wouldn't hesitate to put big wind turbines that are feeding onto the grid. Uh, the issue is that wind turbines are fairly expensive to engineer and install on a residential scale that have any significant productivity. And the cost of solar panels have come down so much in the past 20 years that, that on a residential scale, wind just can't compete with it. Even in places that are pretty miserable solar environments, the solar panel still produces more kilowatt hours per day per dollar spent. Well, I will... And, uh, and they last 50 years instead of 3 to 10. I'll, I'll take that on advisement, Counselor. And my <laughs> final question is, um, uh, I love the basic thrust of your program, but there are other aspects that have nothing to do with renewing energy or using renewable energy, but um, basically making whatever you live in uh, as uh, thermally, shall we say, useful as possible, that is, say, insulating it, yeah, designing oh, it, certainly, designing it, all that kind of stuff. Certainly. Jeff, Jeff Oldham, my previous uh, co-host for nearly a decade and I, both agreed that... Uh, Conservation and efficiency are renewable energy topics in our fair game, and we've had them as topics on the show quite a bit. Perhaps not not enough recently, but uh, the, I, I, the most I hear that. I, the most renewable I, kilowatt hour of all is the one you didn't use in the first place. We've said that many times. Ab absolutely, and so but I, you need to have more more discussions on how a person can go about that on high efficiency, and uh, we've had shows on uh, good passive solar design of houses that uh, you know have good thermal mass in them, high insulation, well sealed, gain solar energy during seasons and times of the day when it's useful to have the input and keep the sun out during the times when you're wanting to stay cool. Well, I'll keep listening. Alright, it's been a while, you're right. You're right, we've had so many topics that are explicit to renewable energy production that we've neglected the conservation. Well, I'll let you carry on. All right. Thanks for the call, and thanks for listening up there in the panhandle. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we just had another caller who just dropped off the line. Call back caller, 895-2448, if you want to join the conversation. Yeah, I, I will echo that, that person's emphasis that we waste so much energy here thoughtlessly that just doing conservation will go a long ways. Although we have come a long ways in the last 20 years with better conservation efficiency. Oops, that caller didn't hang on. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hey, um, it's me again. I have a, a solar question for you. All right, what's that? So, I, in the city of Ukiah, it is, unless I'm reading it wrong, uh, we are not on net metering anymore as of about a year and a half ago. Really? What so, what were you, what are you reading? Read it to me. I am reading um, that the G1 uh, multi-register meter account all energy delivered and received after the consumer serves its own instantaneously load will be measured by the multi-register meter. 
This is a special meter which is certified to accurately record both the power used from the utility and the surplus generation sent back to the utility and if necessary for you to receive the full, full benefits. Then it goes on to say that it's uh, 6.7 kilo cents per, or 6.7 cents per kilowatt hour that they pay you for the meter going to the grid. Um, which is about half pay. their their retail price, isn't it? Well, I think they're going up to like 16. Okay, a little less than half the retail price. Oh, that is news to me. I had not realized that, and I will dig into that and and try to read through the legalese of exactly what they mean, but it sounds like they've they've gone not quite as bad as the California Public Utility Commission rules for investor-owned utilities, but they've moved that direction. Yeah, so my question is, as I'm pondering this and pondering the cost of batteries, it's like I don't even know where to start with the math. As to oh, it, that that's sense. hard. You know, the last time I calculated it, it's probably come down a bit, but the last time I calculated it was, you know, cost of cycling a battery was, you know, comparable to the retail price of a kilowatt hour. Uh, um, in terms of wear and tear and ultimate replacement cost of the battery bank and where you're only talking what eight cents difference yeah and when soon to be nine eight or nine cents difference i was i was crunching the numbers and it looked like you know the cost of cycling a lithium-ion battery was something on the order of 18 cents mind you that was five years ago and the price has come down a bit uh other people who had crunched the numbers who i thought were sort of cheating a little bit on how they were doing their calculations were you know as low as 11 but it's sort of a wash for you even with the you know most optimistic financial analysis of of cycling now on pg&e those price differences are bigger and there's a little better argument to be made to uh you know bank up by charging batteries when the when the rate is lower in the morning and i don't you still don't have a time of use rate structure do you on in ukiah power not as far as it's, i can tell it's the same same rate year round yeah um and uh so it's it's a little hard for me to recommend doing a large battery bank, but uh, you know as things change, it it might become more financially feasible. And there are plenty of people who are doing it now and swear by it. I'm I'm sort of a stick in the mud on that front, looking at the economics of it. Um, an, another different strategy, and if you're not on net metering anymore, is to not design the system to cover your whole annual consumption. Uh, if you design the system relatively small compared to your daytime consumption, then you're not overflowing that often, and you get the full retail price for your solar when you offset the full retail consumption from the grid. But you already have solar? No, no. not yet. Okay. But did you say a hotel? No, I said not yet. Okay. No, earlier I thought I heard you say hotel, So, but you're talking about a residence. Yeah, a okay. residence and a small business. Okay, well, we, we used to design systems to be 80-90% of annual consumption because you could do annual net metering and the grid was essentially a 100% efficient battery bank that, you know, you didn't have to buy up front and presumably wouldn't wear out. Um, we didn't design it for 100% because some years you'd make 110% just because of good years and bad years in the weather. and uh, And there really was no provision for any realistic compensation for net annual excess. But now they're talking, you know, this second, if you're producing excess, you're getting a different rate for what you send back out on the grid than what they would charge you for. And so it's, you know, a 25% efficient battery bank now. Um, and in your case, it's a, you know, 30, 30, 40%, 40%, 40, maybe 50% uh, efficient battery bank, uh, which is still pretty reasonable if the panels are cheap and the batteries cheap, free. Um, it's not outrageous. And the panels are going to last, you know, their, their warranties are typically 25 years. And I've seen plenty of, you know, bad, uh, still functioning solar panels that are pushing 50 years old now. Um so, you know, it's it's still, I think, a reasonable investment. I'm still nervous about encouraging, you know, residential battery systems if you're not off the grid. 
Off the grid, you don't have a choice. That makes a lot of sense. That ten cents per kilowatt hour, the cost of energy. Yeah. Well, look look at the go go shop some batteries. See how much they cost, and if they're worth worth anything, they will give you a graph or or a number of data points for how deep you cycle them versus how many cycles you can expect out of them. You know, it might be 2,000, it might be 6,000 cycles at 80% discharge. And you can, you know, take the kilowatt hour rating of that battery bank and say, okay, if I'm cycling at 80%, um, that's this many kilowatt hours times, and they say it's going to be able to do that 4,000 times or whatever they say. So you can calculate a total number of kilowatt hours in and out of that battery bank and divide that by the cost of the battery bank, including shipping and tax and installation. And, uh, you know, and, and see, you know, how expensive that battery bank is per kilowatt hour of usage. Historically, I always used to teach, hey, you know, you people off the grid, solar isn't free energy. You're going to spend nearly as much in lifetime, you know, battery replacement costs as you would have paid the utility for the same amount of power. Mind you, that has some nuances to it, but gives you the big picture. Batteries are expensive. Did I lose you? Nope, thank no. you. Hey, uh, you're welcome. Thanks for the call. No problem, thank you. Mm-hmm. 895-2448. We've had a lot of callers who didn't hang on long enough for me to pick up. Call back if you're one of them. Um, here's somebody as we speak. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. What about the idea of grid interactive, you know, where you can charge your house out of your car because there's pretty big battery banks in them, and then you lease the car. So the question is, and so that after you've had the car for three years and you've cycled its battery every single day, then you uh, trade the car back in and get another one. Interesting. Another one because, you know, that, uh, a lot of people like to lease cars anyway because they're suspicious of the battery. But, uh, you know, with, with solar vehicles, and it just seems like unless there's a limit on the amount of kilowatt hours you could run through that battery in your lease somehow... It would seem like a reasonable way that because some of those battery banks are in those vehicles are huge. Yeah, compared to your solar and your your battery bank in your house. Yep, no, so there's an, there's a, big battery idea. banks, and and some of them have the capability, like the the F one fifty Lightning. You know, has got a built in inverter and everything ready to go. Um, and everybody's going to be doing that. Yep, everybody's going to be doing that, and that brings up another point. Once enough people start uh, gaming the system, as you suggest, my guess is there will be a stipulation about extra charges for cycling the batteries, an excessive amount. Yeah, like, um, yeah but, like your miles driven. Right, that sort of that sort of charge. Although that does, you know, jump make another thought jump into my head, is that one way that battery that stationary uh, battery prices might come down is explicitly due to electric vehicle uptake um, whereas at least the initial problem is that the the stationary applications for battery storage are going to be in direct competition you know with the resources available with the electric vehicle market because that's going to be booming and that's going to keep the prices from coming down or maybe even make them go up as electric vehicle rate, uh, sales soar. Um, but, I mean, there's but, a big change but, going on my, right my, now. If you even look at Tesla, in their lower-cost cars, they're starting to change to the LiPo battery cost. So they're getting rid of the cobalt. They're getting yeah, rid yeah. Of, and I applaud and, that. I applaud that. I, no, well, I don't like the cheaper. cobalt ones. It's cheaper and heavier. They're, they're it's a little heavier. bit heavier, and that's one reason they steered clear of it early on. But I guess what my final point was that I never got to is we're going to start seeing used car batteries significantly entering the stationary market. Because when you lose, you know, 20% of your capacity in your car battery, 
that's enough for some drivers to say, hey, I'm not comfortable with that range restriction and want to replace the battery bank. But there's still a very viable battery bank. And we're starting to see these be sold to stationary applications. Yeah, I've seen quite a few YouTube videos of people that are using, you know, Tesla batteries and such things, you know, and mm -hmm. they're just figuring out ways to make them work. Yep. Well, I've got, I've got a buddy back in my hometown who's, you know, got a Prius where he bought a, uh, a Prius with a dead battery bank. And it turned out, you know, it was only a quarter of the cells were dead and he got a great deal on the dead one and and salvaged it and replaced the few cells that were not good in his good one and uh god he's had it for 15 years now <laughs> well nothing like being creative all yeah. right thanks i love your show sure enough take care thanks for the call and as always my callers always have lots of good thoughts and curious questions and sometimes we have answers here and when we don't have answers, often another caller does, who will call in and help me out when I'm going, duh, duh, duh. Anyhow, if you want to join us with any topic of renewable energy, it's 895-2448 here at the Philo Studio line. Um, and on cue, here's somebody rescuing me. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Well, again, thank you for taking my call. What a great, great topics uh, going on tonight. Thank you. Well, I'm I'm hi relying highly on my uh, my listeners since uh, since job. my co-host my co-host is AWOL and I'm I'm going solo, which is always hard. Oh, shout out! I hope all is well. Hopefully, he's uh, home sipping some something warm and enjoying himself. But um, I, the the topic that um, that I find most interesting tonight is that. We have a problem trying to figure out what to do with too much solar, and I, I absolutely love that. As a, that's my kind of problem. Yeah, yeah. Who would have thought that 15 years ago? I was just going to say, 15 years where's it go? I never would have dreamed it. Oh, there's so know, many things that are happening now that I just thought of as inconceivable. Yeah, and, and I, a part of this I do believe we can take care of at home, and you know, charging your EV at home during peak. So when the sun is shining, is a, is a good idea. Um, if you are home, a lot of people aren't. What's that? If you are home, then a lot of people aren't. If you are, yeah, but if not, you could be away from home and still have a charging station that works when the sun is shining. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, but batteries are only a part, a small part of the solution. Um, what the other thing we can do at home is hot water. Uh, we are restricted to have, I think, a 60-gallon uh, restriction on the size of our hot water tank, which is from the 80s or 90s or whatever. But if we upped our storage during, uh, so that we can... You're kidding. The state legally limits how big uh, of a hot you know, water tank you can don't, have? Don't rely on me, but I think you're only allowed... It's, it's somewhat archaic, but why not change all that around? Why not say, let's have twice that much storage. Absolutely. And, have, and, you and know, a 80 a or 120 gallon. A custom, a custom controller that says, hey, let's let's heat this up when the sun is shining, and then later on in the evening when we need uh, not, scalt, not, not hot water, but definitely very, very, very warm water, we can store that in warm water. In our homes, we take care of right, right then and there is a great thing to do with our abundance of energy when the sun is shining. And you have a smart water heater that turns on and off based on overflow from the grid. Something, something smarter mm -hmm. than I am, but I, I think there are people out there that can well, figure this out. There was actually some guests we had, uh, oh God, it's probably been eight years ago or so, back when, when Jeff was still co-host. We had... Uh, some folks from the University of Delaware who ran a simulation, you know, 4,000 simulations. They had, you know, roughly a seventh of the United States grid consumption data, at, you know, a myriad of points around the grid. Uh, what was being consumed at every minute of the day for, uh, you know, some period. And they also had weather data. And they ran some 4,000 different energy supply mix scenarios uh, 
to find out which ones were the cheapest. They charged a premium on any fossil fuel source of electricity of half of what the European Union charges for carbon emissions. So there was a penalty, but it wasn't outrageous. But it was enough to, you know, favor solar and, and wind to some degree. And they had concluded before they started these simulations that there was going to be an awful lot of pump-to-water storage and chemical battery storage. And what amazed them in the end was the final solution reached, you know, the, the winner of the 4,000 simulations had far, far less storage than they had anticipated. And it was actually cheaper to put in excess solar and wind and let it be wasted sometimes. Actually, one, one of their interesting strategies, which your discussion of water, smart water heaters uh, brought up, is that they included the, the cost of putting in gas-fired and electric-fired water heaters in the same units that were capable of communicating with the grid so that when the grid was overflowing, these water heaters would operate in electric mode and when the grid was running shy, they would run in, in gas consumption mode. Well, all this technology is available at our, finger, at our fingertips. It just, just needs to happen right away. Right it needs away. to happen now. And yeah, that, it's that, so simple. And I, again, I love, I absolutely love the problem that's try, uh, that we're trying to solve now. Uh, Laytonville, there's a topic. There's going to be uh, some... Big solar going in Laytonville, uh, probably some controversy surrounding that, but oh my gosh, uh, do you know anything about that at all? No, I don't. What's the project there? Who's uh, doing it? I heard it? on the news there's a, a mega plant planned for the south end of Laytonville near Sham Shamrock Ranch somewhere, and um, it's it's uh, that big giant valley when you come up there. And so it's, it, uh, it's on private land? I believe so. And it and it's uh, owned by some commercial entity as a utility scale power production. Uh, these are you know I'm not I, I don't know, but I I would love to keep that in the news. I really okay. would I'd love for it. You know I I'm full of questions too, and of course there's environmental and the, the wonderful huge herds of elk there. What I'm hoping I think it was 27 acres. I hope they would take. 50 acres or 75 acres and allow some for the environment to... Hey, uh, is there time to get in a little bit of um, Science Wednesday moment? What's that? Sure. I don't okay. have another caller waiting. All right. Well, real quick, just the difference between uh, how the sun appears in the sky on the first day of spring, which I was hoping you would have a program closer to that, but it's 10 days away, and then as the sun appears in the sky the first day of fall, and what, you know, how significant that is to us in terms of trying to figure out where the sun hits our land during what time of year. Hmm. So I'm well, they're the that. same. They're the same on the first day of spring and the first day of go. fall. That's why I called you. Yep. Just, yeah, I, it's just, I think it's a very important thing for people to know, you know, what's my garden doing right now? What's okay. it going to be doing, uh, in, you know? In, in the first day of fall. So yeah. anyway, I, 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 have a, really I have a fun gadget that maps that out, but I've been doing this so long, I could, you know, do a sweep of my arm and show you December and show you March and yeah, but show you, you June. Go outside and look at the sun and then, and then mark that day on your calendar and then now go out and uh, look at the sun just before fall, you know, 10 days before fall. The sun is going to appear at the same angle up here and I use my words uh, carefully there, appear in the, in the sky the same place. Yeah, it, at, at the same time of day. Same time, yep. So, so we're prospecting. Yeah. Well, in, uh, in, on the, the equinoxes, that's typically March 21st and September 21st, although it can be a few days either side of that, uh, it always rises everywhere on the planet. Do east and sets due west don't you love it yeah and but at the closer you are to the equator the more it rises straight up into the sky and at the equator it literally rises straight up and here in the northern hemisphere it rises to the south uh, at a slope and depending on how far north you are it's more and more close to the ground that that sloping angle is and of course at the at the North Pole, it 
doesn't rise or set. It just, you know, on the equinox, the sun stays halfway above the horizon and does 360 degrees all the way around you. That's a fun thought. It, it really is. I it does tie into renewable energy, but I was hoping we could have a little Science Wednesday moment there. Hey, <laughs> all thanks right. for the show. Hey, you're very welcome. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Perhaps more important to me is how it's different in, say, the extreme of June 21st, the summer solstice, typically. The sun rises uh, further, well north of east. And as I mentioned to a caller earlier in the day, uh, that caller dropped off, uh, that it actually does break the east-west line for a middle couple hours a day. Hello, caller, you're live on the air. Hi. Um, I, I was wondering... Oh, you want me to turn my computer off, probably. Whoops. Yep, okay. Yep. And, um, yeah. Um, and you're kind of quiet, like, too. I would I would like to hear a whole program on heat pumps. Ah, oh, we, we did just have a whole program on heat pumps about a month ago. Oh, it, would it still be archived? I expect it is. I don't think it's been long enough so that that would have dropped off. I don't remember oh. the exact date, but... Check, check the Boy, every I... other Wednesday. It was an interesting topic because uh, he had an interesting twist on heat pumps, so we didn't go into huge ton of detail on how they work and how their efficiency is. Uh, another good resource on this would be Sonoma Clean Power. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, SonomaCleanPower.org. Hey, Okay, I've got them. I mean, I I get energy from them well, along with along with PG and E. So they have so an a, they have an educational energy center and uh, quite a bit of information online, and they definitely would love to see people switching over to heat pumps from natural gas furnaces. Right. And, and okay. Well, in my case, it's propane. In propane, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> the, they're okay. th- they're thinking city slickers, or as we here in Bootling Land would say, bright lighters. Well, I'm, I, I thought you very well might have had one because I don't, I can't listen all the time. But um, uh, I'm glad to hear that. And well, he I'll, and I'll, he, he I'll was. I'll try and get it on the archives, and and then I'll hit up uh, Sonoma and see what they have. He, he was particularly bent on ground source heat pumps, which are even more efficient, but a little more expensive to install. Because of the trenching. Yeah, or the coring boring. Yeah. If you go straight down. Okay. But they are, they're very efficient, and in more extreme environments than ours, it's a no-brainer. But here, air source heat pumps that are high efficiency are quite reasonable. Great. Okay. Hey, thanks for the call. Thank you. Bye-bye. People who get online for seem to not have patience to keep ringing, or maybe I just take too long and Pack Bell cuts them off. Hey, we're getting toward the top. Here's that collar back. I bet you... Maybe there's something wrong with line four, but I've gotten callers on line four. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. That's what it is, is if you, after so much time, they they cut you off automatically. Yeah. So you got to catch us while you, while, you, while you got us if you can. Well, that, um, one, I'm, I'm that, one, that one just happened in a matter of seconds. Yeah. Well, sometimes I know I, I sit, sit on here and try to get on because I have been curious. Um, I, my grandfather helped to build the Hetchy Dam. And there are are hydroelectric um, pumps, turbines in the dam. And I've, I grew up in Casper on the coast, and I've had dreams of tidal power. Uh, my mom used to say the ocean is a pool that will never run dry. And as the icebergs melt and as the oceans are rising, if we could figure out how to get the desalinization, you know, to get the fresh water out of the ocean without doing damage, because I'm also a fisherwoman, um, it's it's a hundred years from now. You know, I'm a visionary. I'm thinking electricity's only been around a couple hundred years. So we're, these are we have to think seven generations. It doesn't. All these answers don't have to be figured out within ten or twenty years. You know, but um, I would like to figure out. I had a dream of a nine by nine grid of diamonds or crystals just floating in space. And I was thinking, if you could figure out how to desalinate the ocean, how to get the the uh, evaporation, with small with scale, floating crystals. Yes, this was just a dream I had. And it was, <laughs> and it was a wild nine dream. by nine. I counted hey, we, nine. We don't, we don't, we don't need magic numbers and magic crystals to do well, this. We can do it already. Well, j- just listen, just listen, please. Just let this float hey. by. 
Okay, because I, I think I'm on to something, but, but I haven't figured out. Desalinization would be a reservoir of water and an upside-down stainless steel bowl, uh, or par- porcelain is another one that does not corrode. Um, they, they've pulled out uh, airplane uh, engines from World War II out of the, Pacific, the South Pacific that were made out of aluminum. But that's, a, that's not a real sturdy, strong... Hey, hey you, you got to keep it more concise. You're, okay. You're running I out of time. Okay, but the turbines would run, and if you have the the turbines. ocean, you have the ocean. You have the water coming in with funnels, so that you can concentrate the power of the water, the the pressures of the water coming in to spin the turbines. Okay, it's using the ocean, but I, I've been hesitant about getting this out into into the free space because I don't want the men to do to the ocean what they've done to the forest. Well, you ought to build it's one and patent it. Small scale. It's got to be done It's a very small scale. Build, build you know, one and 90, patent it and make sure it 90, works. Just and 90% of the hey, people I've tried. Hey, we're out of I've, time, Randy. we got to call it, call it an evening. Okay, but anyhow, I'd love to be able to figure out tidal power. Do it. And batteries, batteries, because it's a constant 24-7. We've got the tides working. Do it. And it would be nice. And turning off lights. That's the other thing. Walmart and Costco and all these I'm with you. i got to cut you off. From, okay. All right. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Hey, uh, on that note, we got to wrap it up. Uh, coming up is uh, the... Sanhedrin Native Plants uh, chapter of the California Native Plants uh, Society, I believe is its full name. Um, And right after that is going to be Radiogram with Jamie Roberts. And I'm going to put on just a little bit of music to give him a chance to get settled and get his things loaded up. And tune in next week for Point and Click Radio, and we'll be back again in two weeks, hopefully two of us and not just one. Good night, everybody. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening. <laughs>